Join me in the Old Testament book of Psalm. If you open your Bible to the halfway point, you will probably be there. We're going to spend time today in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. While you are finding that, a question for all of us to consider as we begin. And that question is, what is shaping you? Just think about that for a moment. What is shaping you? Answers could include world events, or a job, or a person. It could be anxiety that is shaping us, or future plans and events. What is shaping you? In 35 days, my oldest daughter, Clarice, will marry her fiancé, Brighton. They are fantastic people, both of them. I love them. Aren't they adorable? They are. I can't wait for this wedding. It's really going to be a fun day. And I can assure you that just about every conversation we are having as a family right now centers and focuses in some way on this future event in 35 days. It's all about the wedding. And we're having a lot of fun with these discussions. This future event is shaping, indeed, it is changing our family. That's how I would respond to the question. What about you, though? What is shaping you? What is shaping you? Over the past five years, I have done a fair amount of research and writing on the theory and practice of leadership. As you can imagine, there is a plethora of literature dedicated to leadership. What is leadership? What makes a leader? What are the traits of leadership? And how do leaders gather people together to complete a common goal? How does that actually happen? While there's much dedicated literature to leadership, I do believe there is a gap in the literature related to who or what shapes the leader. So all kinds of information about traits, and here's how leaders accomplish different things. And here's the types of leaders that seem to excel in different situations. But very little literature on who is shaping the leaders and helping them become someone. Thankfully for the Christian, we have something provided to us by God that is shaping us into something beautiful. There's not a lack of literature for us, thankfully. We want to talk about that today. So I go back to the question. What is shaping you? What is shaping you? Is it a future event? Is it a theory? Or is it something driven by God himself? Here at Valley Point Church, we want 
spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices to be shaping us so that we can become rooted in Christ, which is our dream. So far, here is what we have discussed as we have thought about being rooted in Christ and grabbing different spiritual practices and beginning to use them in our lives and perfecting, so to speak, these disciplines so that we can honor God and love him and love our neighbor as well. We've covered two spiritual practices. In week one of the second part of our Rooted in Christ's name, we talked about the spiritual practice of worship and how important it is for us to regularly step into the presence of God and respond to who he is and his greatness. In week two, last week, we talked about prayer and how God invites us to boldly step into his presence. And there, as we talk to him, as we pray and commune with him, we find grace to help us in our time of need. So we've looked at the spiritual practices of worship and prayer so far. Today we add a third practice called Bible study. And I believe this should be the centering, forming thing for the apprentice of Jesus. So let's do this. Let's look to some scripture, and then I will share a big idea after that, and then we'll get practical, okay? Some scripture, hopefully you have opened your Bible to Psalm chapter 19. I will begin reading with verse 7. Here's what it says. The instructions, or some versions use the word law or laws there. So the instructions, or the laws of the Lord are perfect. And here's what they do. They revive the soul. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Speaking of what he has given to us, scripture, the words of God, they are perfect reviving the soul. I want to pause here and give some backdrop before we read the rest of our passage from Psalm chapter 19 because understanding some context here gives richness to what David, the writer, is saying here. Now, here's what I find to be fascinating about Psalm chapter 19. In both Egyptian and Mesopotamian thought, which would have been a very real driver at this particular time, law and justice. So again, keep in mind we have here in verse 7, the instruction or the laws of the Lord, they do something for us. But in Egyptian and Mesopotamian thought, law and justice were closely related to the sun gods that they worshipped. Ancient people considered the sun just a necessary part of life, as I think we do, but they were so into the sun that they lifted it up as a deity and felt it was important to worship and to give obedience to these different sun gods. The Egyptians worshipped the sun god Re, R-E, and the Mesopotamian sun god was named Shamash. Ray, the Egyptian sun god, became such an important object of worship for them that the kings or the ruling authorities would give daily offerings and sacrifices to Ray in order to appease the sun god. The king was also tasked with building and maintaining temples 
to the gods. Some of these temples we know today as the pyramids, and we're very aware of them. Here's what's kind of fascinating about the pyramids. They were arranged east to west in parallel to the sun's activity. And many biblical scholars state that it was upon the Pharaoh's death or the king's death that the pyramid would serve as a portal for the king to get into the presence of Ray, the sun god, and worship him and give him obedience and give him honor and respect. That's what they believed. Although the Bible does not explicitly mention these gods, sun worship was strictly forbidden in biblical and Old Testament law, and we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's what it says. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. It's almost like God knew this would be an issue and this would be a problem. And so in biblical law, he's like, as you look up into the heavens, the skies, the stars, and the sun, don't worship them. And the purpose of the ban on sun worship was to distinguish between Yahweh, the God of Israel, who was the head of the host of heavenly armies, including the moon and stars and sun. And the emphasis was on worship the creator, not the creation itself. So that's the purpose of the ban. Focus on the creator, Yahweh, the God of Israel, not the creation itself. Despite this clear ban given to God's people about worshiping the heavens and specifically the sun, Scripture does not hide the fact from us that people still did this. And specifically, perhaps even shockingly, God's people still did this, even though they were told, look, don't worship the sun. It's not a good thing. Worship the creator of the sun. Worship him. Instead, well, they had an issue with this. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, we are introduced to a young king named Josiah. Josiah comes to the throne Evil has been rampant in the land and worship of all kinds of things besides God. And this young king, he begins to initiate some religious reforms, including this in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 5. It says, he, speaking of Josiah, he did away with the idolatrous priests who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah. He basically walked in and said, you all are fired. I'm done with you. For they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem, which God had said, you know, don't do that. And they did. And so he said, we're all done with the craziness here. So you're fired. These priests had also offered sacrifices to Baal, another god, and to the sun, the moon, the constellations, and to all the powers of heavens. So what we find right away in Psalm 19 is that the psalmist is making a claim for people who struggled with this. Okay, God said, don't do it. 
Yet scripture doesn't hide the fact from us that they actually were doing it. They were worshiping the sun. And so the psalmist makes a claim for those who struggled with this that it is not a sun god. It's not a sun god that provides perfect instruction and precepts and laws. It's Yahweh, the one true God. And the psalmist makes his case this way. So back to Psalm 19, here's the rest of verse 7 and following. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. What we find here in the text is that the psalmist is talking about Scripture. And here are some titles, and here's what it does for you, and here's how you can use it to form you and shape you. Not the sun or any other God or any other form of worship that we may put before God today. Not that, but here's what the Word of God can do to help us respond to the greatness of God. And he uses six different titles. So let's just walk through the text again. And I want you to hear these different titles for the Word of God because they give us confidence in what it is and what God has provided. In verse 7, we find the title instruction. Some versions use law. Again, in verse 7, we see the title decrees for which we could say statutes or testimony. In verse 8, we have the title commandments, really precepts here, which refer to how the Word of God is applicable even to the smallest details of our lives. That's what commandments or precepts means. In verse 8, we also see the title commands, which were things to be obeyed. And we find that in Scripture as well. Here's some stuff to do or things to obey. In verse 9, we have the title reverence, which is a very interesting title, but it does give us perspective on how the Word of God is to be respected and revered. For through it, we see our great God and our Savior. So the Word of God is to be respected. And then in verse 9, we have the title laws, which refers to judgments or ordinances, which are authoritative decisions. Here's what God has said, and here's what God wants. Here are the different laws. So these are the six different titles that just open up the Word of God and explain Scripture to us. Now, Scripture, according to the psalmist, has nine qualities. And I want you to hear this because it may be new information for you or perhaps you just haven't thought about these different qualities in a long time. So let these fall freshly into your life. Here are the nine qualities of the Word of God based on what the psalmist says in chapter 19 here. The Word of God is perfect, trustworthy, right, clear. It's pure. 
It's fair. It's desirable. It's sweet or scrumptious. It's tasty, right? Like when we think of the Word of God, it should be that for us. And it also comes with a warning plus a reward for us. These are the qualities of Scripture. And it doesn't end there. Scripture, according to the psalmist, has four results. Or if we engage with the Word of God, if we spend time in it and we open our heart to being shaped by what it says, then here are the results. Four of them, it revives, it makes wise, it brings joy, and it brings reward. So my time, and you apply this to yourself, okay? As an apprentice of Jesus, when I engage in Scripture, when I spend time here, it revives, it makes wise, it brings joy, and it brings reward. I share these different lists with you. The qualities of Scripture revealed to us by God himself and what it does for us. I share these lists with you to, sim to simply say, we owe it to ourselves to pick up the word of God and to read it and to allow it to shape and inform us. I don't know how I could be any clearer on that. Like, we owe it to ourselves. I mean, this is something that is perfect and trustworthy. It's pure. It's desirable. It revives. What else in life can do that besides the Word of God? So we owe it to ourselves as followers of Christ Jesus to pick up the Word of God and allow it to refresh and revive and bring joy and bring rewards into our lives. It's why we start every year here at Valley Point with life verse and saying, let's all wrestle with the word of God and search and find a couple of verses that we can claim as our own. And it's why we throw out a church-wide verse or two to say, let's memorize this because we need more of the word of God inside of us, not less of it, we need more because it revives, it makes wise, it brings joy, and it brings reward. It's why we roll out a weekly Monday through Friday reading plan. It's why just about every Sunday we open up the Word of God and we teach from it so that it can revive and bring joy and bring peace into our lives. We need more of the Word of God, not less. We need a whole lot more. Listen, with all of the competing noise and the messaging of culture, you just do you and I'll do me. With all of that noise, the apprentice of Jesus needs something centering and focusing them. And we have a centering component provided to us by God himself. It's called the word of God. So we need more of this, not less, because it revives, it makes wise, it brings joy, and it brings reward. We owe it to ourselves to get involved in this. Okay, that brings us to our big idea. I waited a long time to get to this. Here it is. Allowing the word of God to form me is the best way to live. It's the best way to live. And I think at some point, we just as followers of Jesus have to wrestle with this, that allowing God's word to inform me and shape me to actually do what it 
instructs and to live my life by it. It's the best way to live. Otherwise, we run with our opinions and what we feel, and that generally gets us into trouble. Now, I want to throw out some warnings when it comes to the Word of God and some things just for us to consider as hopefully we are wrestling with, this is the best way to live, and I need more time in it, not less, because there's reward here. Here's some warnings. Number one, avoid viewing the Bible as a rule book or even as a manual. Sometimes people refer to it as that. The Bible's a rule book. It's a manual for living. And I grew up in a tradition that emphasized that. And I get the heartbeat of that, but I think it can be troubling. Instead, I think we should view Scripture as something that leads us to wisdom. And that's why we engage. There's reward here, and it revives. Yes, it provides some rules. But to think of it as something beyond a rule book or a manual, it leads us to wisdom, and that's why we need it all of the time, and we need more of it, not less. Scholar Peter Enns states it this way, adopting a wisdom mentality rather than a rule book mentality gives us a Bible with fresh possibilities. The fresh possibilities, I think, are an invitation to a lifelong journey of being soaked in wisdom. So as you think about this, does anyone need a little more wisdom about anything? Life, relationships, the future, culture, parenting, grandparenting, whatever the case might be. Does anyone need a little more wisdom? Well, immersing ourselves in Scripture, it is the pathway to wisdom. And that's why we need more of it, not less. That's warning number one. Warning number two is this. Seek Scripture as a way to encounter the living God. Not a distant God who is uninterested in our daily lives, but a living God who wants to speak his word into my life. View it that way. I am working through a book right now by Ruth Haley Barton called Sacred Rhythms. And she talks a lot about the practice of scripture in your life. And she says it this way, use scripture as a place of intimacy with God for your own soul's sake. I think sometimes the fear when we talk about we need more scripture in our life is that we hear that and say, okay, well then I'll just read more and I'll ramp up my reading plan and I can check that off the list of things that I have done or I am doing and somehow God will be really happier with me because I'm spending more time in scripture. That's not really the point here. The point is let's use scripture as a way of not checking something off a to-do list but to have intimate time with God who wants to meet me and shape me with his words and give a living word to me. So seek scripture as a way to encounter the living God, not just to do something. And then warning number three, waiting for the right season of life to be a person of the word may never come. Okay? Like, you know, I'll, I'll do that at some point when 
this happens or when my time is a little more free or I don't have children in the home competing with my time or when I retire. I think if we feel that way, it will probably never happen. So the thought here is with all of these different qualities and with what the Word of God gives to us, why wait? Why wait? And why wouldn't we say no to a host of other things, maybe even great things, to have something better, the living God speak to us and adjust our schedules and our time around what God wants for us. So waiting for the right season of life, it's not going to happen. We have to start now. Uh, For students in the room, for those of you in middle school, high school, and college, a specific challenge to you. Begin this habit now. Don't wait. I have discovered that, by and large, adults aren't very good at spending quality time in the Word of God. You have the opportunity to begin this habit now, to have this shaped in your life, and it will set your life up on a trajectory to be shaped by the things of Jesus. This is the greatest way to live. So if you're a young person, if you are a student, do it now. It's a great habit, the best habit that you can establish in life. Okay. Let's get practical, and this is where I want to share three takeaways, and some of these are going to be very familiar to many of you. I don't think it's new information, but it's good for us to review stuff that is practical and helpful and easy, and I hope it falls fresh into your heart. So if, big idea, allowing the Word of God to form me is the best way to live, then here we go. Number one takeaway, place and plan. Where will you meet with God? What's your place? Where's your chair time with God? Have a place and have a plan. If you don't have a place and if you don't have some type of reading plan, like the Monday through Friday Valley Point reading plan or jumping online and finding some type of plan, including even having the Word of God read to you if you've got other things to do, you can have it spoken to you. It's great opportunities to be shaped by the Word of God. What's the plan? If you don't have a plan... It's not randomly going to happen. We must be purposeful about this. So if the word of God, having it form us is the best way to live, what's your place where you have that alone time with God and what's your plan? Number two, eliminate distractions and open your mind and heart. And maybe the distraction for you is your own negativity or bias to the word of God. We all have biases about everything. We do including the Word of God. Maybe that's the distraction we need to eliminate to just allow it to speak to us. Eliminate distractions. And then number three, embrace slow reading. It's not a race. You don't always have to read 50 verses. Maybe we read one and allow it to poke and invade. There is an exercise on your program and on the app as well. It's a slow reading exercise from Psalm 100. I would encourage you to give that a shot. And maybe that's what you want to do Monday through Friday. Just go back to Psalm 100 five straight times and answer the different questions and pray the different prayers there to allow slow reading to feed your heart from the Word of God. Okay, allowing the Word of God to form us, to shape us, I believe is the best way to live. May God help us now 
to practice Bible study with our place and plan, with eliminating distractions, and with embracing slow reading so that he can form us into the image of his beloved son. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for a little bit of time just to come back to something I feel we discuss a lot, yet it constantly needs our attention because we forget and we allow other things to crowd out the important. God, I think we owe it to ourselves as followers to pick up the word of God and to read it. And yes, it's complicated and can be difficult to understand at times. But it's what you've given to us. And as we slow read, as we practice this and, and not give up, as we work hard at it, with just the beauty of having you inform us is something that will transform our lives. So, God, I pray that you would encourage us and help us to be people, to be followers of you who just invest in allowing your word to shape us. And God, help us to find the right kind of plan and the right place so that we can have our time with you, knowing we so desperately need it in a world of noise. So much noise. We need your clear voice. So help us now to do this, to practice Bible study. What a great opportunity. We have in front of us this week as a family, as a body, to just practice this and get better at it so we can be rooted in Christ. God, help us, I do pray now, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.